If you were with us last week, Taylor did a fantastic job of introducing our new series. I don't even know what the title is. Do we have a title for the new series? The Story That Shapes Us. I like that. The Story That Shapes Us. Hey, Father, thank you for this, uh, this amazing, amazing location that we get to meet and worship you and hear from you and to connect with other people. And we pray, God, this morning uh, that you would be glorified, Father, that uh, your word would, um, would, would transfer from the pages of Scripture into the, our hearts. And, Father, we would be ignited to love you more and to love people more as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I wanted to take a fir- uh, just the beginning part of my message uh, and, and give you a quick update on where we are, kind of an update on the church and how things are going. James uh, gave us a bit of an, up, an overview of the fact that we are meeting in two different locations here at the beach and also at the Malaga Cove Library twice a month. We would like that 1030 service to be somewhere where we can meet every week so that we can continue to run a children's ministry, which is happening right over here at Gilligan's Island. So we're glad that that's happening here on the beach. We're very excited. There are not very many of you here that laughed at that because you've never seen that show. But Bill did. Uh, but I want, you, I want to thank you for continuing to pray for our church. And I mean that. I really mean that. We need to be devoted, 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 devoted to prayer concerning where the Holy Spirit seems to be leading us. You know, coming out of the last 20 uh, months, God is doing a reset. And there's no question that many churches around the United States and really all over the world are asking the question, how are we going to resurface in a new, fresh, dynamic, exciting way? We're going through a metamorphosis. We are. We really are. We cocooned for this uh, period of time, and out of that is going to come something fresh, something new, something transformational. We are not going back, and we kept saying this, we're not going back to the same. So what is it that we're going into? And so I want you to keep praying for us that God is preparing us for something new. There's no question. And things are changing. Our culture is changing. They're responding differently to church and faith in a different way than they did 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago. There's no question. And so how do we adapt to our culture but retain the values and the the ethics and the biblical teaching of our tradition? That's the question. And so we're continuing that reset, that thing, think process. Um, I was with uh, uh, my friend Rick Warren. He, I actually got, I don't know whether it was accidentally invited or uh, somebody felt sorry for me, but I actually got invited to a meeting last week down in Capo Beach. They have, Saddleback has this gigantic property near Camp, uh, San Juan Capistrano, and they use it for events and coordinate uh, ministries and all sorts of things. But Rick Warren is looking at doing a new venture. He wants to find his someone to succeed him at, Sal, at, at Saddleback, and then he wants to transition into a world mission focus of finishing the task of reaching all people for Christ by 2033. Joining together world organizations like Wycliffe and the Jesus Film Project and 
fantastic ministries around the world that are trying to reach the rest of the people that haven't heard the gospel and close that gap by 2033. And so I'm like a fly on the wall. I'm actually in this amazing meeting where Rick began to talk about this new vision. And I think he said in it, by the way, I sat next to this guy. It was so funny. I sat next to a guy named Josh Noel. And I reached out and said, hi, I'm Todd Windorf. And it was kind of like a UN meeting. We had little name plaques and there's my name. And nobody knows that I don't lead a world mission organization, but you know, that's okay. I looked the part. I had a sport coat on. And, um, and I said, well, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I'm with the Jesus film. And you know, stupid me, I'm like, well, what aspect of the Jesus film project do you do? And he goes, well, I run the place. And then he gets up to speak. And I felt like, what a dork. Here I am sitting next to the guy that's leading one of the top mission organizations in the world. The Jesus film was led like, has reached over 8 billion people. Some people have seen it more than twice because that's more people than actually are on the face of the planet. But you think of it, the Jesus film project, multiple showings, 8 billion people have seen either one time or more times, the Jesus film. 500 million people have responded to the gospel by watching this film. And I'm sitting next to the guy that's running the show, and I don't even know who he is. And I, it was so humbling. The, the, the president of Wycliffe gets up, and he shares some stuff, and all these world organizations are now joining together to do something amazing. And Rick in the middle of it says, here's what's happened the last 20 years, uh, 20 months. We have gone through a very serious reset. And it's always in transitional times where it's difficult and hard that God brings about revival. Not in good times, but in hard times. And that's what he sees happening, a revival. Some call it a reformation, a revival forming of the church and the mission and our objectives. And this morning, I, I just want to bring you just a quick little message out of Matthew 22, but I want to also say, keep praying for our reformation, our revival here in the South Bay. We're looking at facilities. We want you to be a part of that. We're excited that we might potentially have a location. The Catalina Room over on Torrance Boulevard and Catalina is a a facility that potentially might be available to us, be praying for us that we make a wise decision about that for our 1030 service or maybe somewhere else. We don't know why we have gotten so many no's. We have heard no after no after no. Churches, no. Facilities, no. Office space, no. No, 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 no is all we've heard. And we don't know why. We don't understand that. I mean, we have found our other locations with a phone call. And now we have been searching and searching. We've got a team and we can't find a location. What's up with that, God? We know God can do it. We know that God could just, just like that, produce a location for us. Seriously, don't you think that? I mean, really, how many stories have you heard of multi-million dollar properties being handed to a church for a penny? I mean, these things happen. The Capo Beach property was this thousand, this multi-acre site that Saddleback received from Hobby Lobby, and I think they pay one cent a year as lease. I mean, these things happen. God can do it. For some reason, he's holding us in this place, and I don't know why, 
but I know we're still going to continue on and we're going to grow and it's just a matter of time and it's just going to explode and we're reaching young families. Our grounder groups have doubled. We have more grounder groups than we've ever had. We're over 11 grounder groups. I want to see 20 grounder groups. I want to see people connecting with one another, getting together to reconnect. We have more men's groups starting. We have women's groups. We have places for people to connect. It's happening. And we don't even have a building. And we're saying, we're, and we are hearing no, and we're still growing. Isn't that true that in the hardest times you grow the most? And that's true for our church as well. We have a lot of challenges. I mean, we have a, a $1.4 million budget, and I just want to say we're at about $830,000. So we are continuing to see the need for people to believe that God has called them to give. It's part of our Christian faith. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, an aspect of your spiritual development is, the, is, is your spiritual giving. When you give financially, it's a way that you are demonstrating and identifying with your faith and that you really believe what you say you believe. All throughout Scripture. And the, the idea of a 10% tithe in the Old Testament was transferred into Jesus' ministry and his teachings about a, a kind of a... a, a it's almost like a, a suggested amount. And, and if you don't, if you like, well, that's, that's ridiculous. How could I possibly give 10%? Because God has made a way for you to live on 90, actually 80, so you can save 10. Ask any financial planner. We have a lot of financial planners in our, minister, our church. You know, my son-in-law, George, is a financial planner. Francois is a financial planner. Dominic is a financial planner. Brian Britt is a financial planner. Ask any one of these guys, any other financial planners out there, anybody else in the money industry that can, say, can tell us that the truth is you can live on less than you actually make. Anybody want to raise their hand? Honestly, seriously, is that true? We, I mean, my wife and I are a testimony of that. Okay, I got a, I got a transition. I want to teach a message but I want us to believe that we can do it. So I want us to connect. I want us to continue to connect as a church together. I want to also encourage us to the fact that we are part of growing and giving and going. Do you know that, here's an interesting statistic. 2% of a culture can change a culture. 2% can change the culture. 2%. That's why the Christian faith around the world is, is truly 2.5 billion people out of 7.5 billion people have accepted faith in Christ. Largest, largest movement in the world. It's powerful. Small movements produce large impact. And that's why our, and by the way, we've got these cool little um, bookmarks that uh, the guys are going to pass around, guys and gals, if anybody wants one. Um, just, just pass those around, Joe, will you? These are our bookmarks that, that identify our mission. Though we may meet at a different location, I just want to encourage you. This is what we're all about. We are hopelessly, highly relational church. Devoted to the words and ways of Jesus, pursuing cultural life change, cultural change and renewal, and life change. And it says, 
in the South Bay and around the world all for the glory of God. That's our vision. Our vision is this, relationships into discipleship, into cultural renewal and life change for the glory of God. We are not gonna change. That's who we are. If you want one, they're gonna pass these around. This is what the river is about. Impacting the culture, intersecting the culture. How do we do that? It begins here in this passage of scripture in Matthew 22. Let me read it for you. I'm gonna jump right in and a couple, I have a couple thoughts. We're in this new series, really the library of Jesus. What influenced Jesus? What was the story that Jesus told himself that impacted his life? As Taylor said last week, the story that you tell yourself will be the story that you live. Did you know that? If you got a story that's marred, I guarantee you, you're gonna see problems down the road. But if you change the dialogue or the story that you live by, that's true. It's true in business. It's true in relationship. It's true in every area of your life. The story that you tell yourself is the story that you will live. And Jesus told himself the story of the Old Testament and it influenced his life. And we're gonna look at those passages in the gospels of where Jesus refers back to his story and connect his teaching with the part of his story to give us a fuller understanding of the words and ways of Jesus. Does that make sense? We're marrying the Old Testament with the New Testament and we're bringing them together. As Jesus taught, he always referred back to the Old Testament. What did he mean by this? We're gonna talk about it. Here's one example. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that Jesus had silenced these people. These religious leaders were attacking Jesus. They were going after him. They wanted their territory back. And Jesus was winning. He was winning territory. He was winning over the crowds with his profound teaching. And they were upset. They wanted control. They wanted power. Religion wants power. Jesus is offering something different. And so this Pharisee comes to Jesus with a question and it says, testing him and says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. If he gets, mentions one, he disregards the others and will discount his ministry and people will see that he's a fraud because you can't possibly identify one over the other. They're all important. So they're trying to trick him, trap him. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. In other words, everything hangs on these two things. They were silenced. Jesus had identified the greatest commandment to love. In the Luke version, the Pharisee actually asked the question, how do I inherit eternal life? Same thing, how to love God, how to eternal life. What's the greatest com commandment? Has to be around how we inherit eternal life. And the Pharisee answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You've answered correctly. And so it's a little different in the Luke version than it is in the Matthew version versus the Mark version in Mark chapter 12. 
But all of them state the fact that Jesus identifies what the greatest commandment is, to love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and to love people as you love yourself. If we simply did that. Two quick observations, and then I have three things I wanted to say about this text. The first two very simple or, or easy little observations here. Number one observation is it's very simple. It really is amazing that this complicated Old Testament with all these laws and traditions, and you begin reading through. And I sat down yesterday, and I read through the first five books of the Old Testament quickly. Believe me, it was quick. I've done it before, so it was like page, turning the page as fast as I could, remembering all the events and all the things that have happened. And the big theme of it is obviously creation, that God created a perfect universe and created humanity to be in a relationship with him. But then we fell, that it was something we did to break our relationship with God. And the rest of the Old Testament is about how to restore that relationship. But in the middle of it, in the early part, God lays down all these laws. Why? In order to show that it's impossible to actually fulfill the laws. You can't do it. But I can, God says. I'm gracious. I'm compassionate. I'm loving. I'm forgiving. And you're going to fail, but I'm loving. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. People say in the Old Testament, oh, God is an angry God. No, he's not. He doesn't like sin, but he loves people more. And that's what we learn all throughout the Old Testament. And when it all boils down, it's very simple. You just love God and love people. But the second observation is the fact that the lawyer knew the answer already. Because in the Luke 10, he's the one who says, oh, it's the Shema. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Just love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. We already know that. That is the greatest thing. We know the greatest commandment in all the Bible is to love God and to love people. Here's the question. How do we do it? How do we get there? I want to give you a couple thoughts. And the first one comes out of the Old Testament context where Jesus actually quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. He's referring back to an Old Testament passage, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you, ha- if you know this particular passage, they hadn't even gotten to the promised land yet. The people were being prepared in the 40 years of the wilderness to get into the promised land that God has provided. And, and they were practicing this one thing twice a day. It was saying the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai Elohinu Adonai Echad. That's the Hebrew for Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord God is one. They would begin twice a day in their children and all of them in the morning and at night to say this, God is one, God is one. Oh, hear, O Israel, oh, listen, the Lord God is one. And then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your, mo- your soul, and with all your might, it says in verse 5. The Old Testament believers The Hebrews that were headed to Israel already knew this. They were practicing it. And then they would add Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which is to love people as you love yourself. And all throughout Hebrew literature, you would find these two particular commands as the top commands that simplify all of the Old Testament. Just love God and love people. The question is how. So they understood that. They lived it. They practiced it. 
And every day, their, their minds would be soaked in it. They would think about this. It would direct them. It would, it would be the, the story that would, they would tell themselves. It's the story that God is one, the true God of Israel, the creator God is one, and we are to love him with everything we have. And yet there's a problem. All throughout the Old Testament, what do we find? We find them grumbling. We find them disobeying. Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. Do you know what the people were doing while Moses was up getting the law? They were breaking the law. They were building a calf, a golden calf to worship. While Moses is interacting with the God of the, the creator God of the world, getting the instruction manual for life, the people are down here violating it. I mean, that's how it all begins in Exodus chapter 20. And so we find over and over again this idea that here it is. I'm laying it out. Follow this. Do this. Here's success. Here's how you be successful. Here's how you have a relationship with me. And yet the other side of it is we see the people, in the, even in numbers, when they're prepared to go into the promised land. Imagine it. 40 years. God prepares the people. He's with them. He's provided food. He's provided protection. He's provided shelter. He's provided everything they need. Everything they need was provided by God and God alone for 40 years. And the minute they are poised to go into the promised land, what do they start doing? They grumble. It says they, the rabbles in numbers like, like 13 or, 12, or 11, the rabble among them, they're complaining. They want more. They want more. And then in Numbers 14, they go in and they come back and they grumble. It says in Deuteronomy that God already knew that they would not make it. What's the point? What is the point? What we learn and what I think Jesus is getting at here in Matthew is a very, very important point. And the first point is this, is that you and I both fall short of that kind of love. And it's not until we fully understand that that we will enter into a true love of God and people. I was driving one day and I was listening to an NPR show many years ago. And it was a story about an African-American woman that had lost her son to gun violence. They caught the young man that murdered his son, her son, and put him in prison. That young man wanted to make amends and meet with this mother. And so they arranged that meeting and they met and the mother forgave this young man. They continued to meet over the term of this man's prison sentence. When this young man got out of prison, I believe she picked him up. They became friends, and that young man now later in his life would take care of this older woman who had lost her son. And they talked and dialogued on NPR together about their relationship. I was bawling. I was like, I, I can't believe this is NPR. This is the gospel story. This is what we all want to live for. To, to come to that place in such an extreme situation, to actually love somebody else that much and be willing to forgive, only Jesus can do that. And then I thought to myself, I, I am so short of that. I'm shallow. I'm petty. I'm selfish. I keep score. And I've been, I've been a believer since I was, I don't know, seven, eight years of age. 
I came to Christ on a beach down in San Onofre one Sunday morning. Didn't know really how to walk with Christ until I got to high school, but when I figured it out and I started walking with Christ, man, it was like there's no, no return. I was going for it. And yet now, what, 50? Over 50 years later, I'm still struggling with really, truly loving like that woman, loving God and loving people, and it's sacrificial. By the way, the word love means agape. It's unconditional love. How do we unconditionally love God? God unconditionally loves us. How do we unconditionally love him? And how do we truly unconditionally love other people? Let me tell you how you start. First idea. Here it is. You cannot truly love God or love people until you first realize that in your own effort or attempt at real love, you will always fall short. And I think that's the gist of the passage. This is not a heavy weight put on us. It's to love more, love better, love deeper. Get at it. Why are you guys not doing more? Start doing more and do something. It's not that. Jesus was actually starting from another perspective, and that is you can't do it. I can't do it. In fact, all the research indicates that. Harvard Gazette, 2018. The value and importance of love. We need love. It identifies how when you are first in love, it releases dopamine, but later it releases oxytocin, which is actually a health inhibitor. I can't go into all the details. Huffington Post, 2006, 17, lists an article about 10 psychological studies on behavior, which pretty much indicate that about 90% of us, listen to this, about 90% of us think we love more than we actually love. And I think that's the starting point. I don't think we should feel bad about that. I think we should just become more aware of the fact that you and I in our own efforts can't do it. And that's where we start even having a discussion about the greatest commandment. You and I can't do it. I remember I was, uh, I was trying to look up the Dodger score. I missed the, last, the end of the last game with the, um, oh, I don't know. I'm not much of a sports fan, but I'll, th- I'll try my best here. The Giants, it's horrible when I get into sports. Um, but here's an interesting statistic that I found in 1951 when Leo Durasher was the manager of the New York Giants. Bobby Thompson hits this home run in the ninth inning and they beat the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Jackie Robinson's on the book, the, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. And, it, and he tells the story, Durasher tells the story in his book, Nice Guys Finish Last, that he actually, Jackie Robinson came over to the Giants to congratulate them. And the last person he wanted to congratulate was Leo. He was called Leo the Lip, a very fantastic coach. And then in 1962, the shoe was on the other foot, and Leo was the coach of the Dodgers, and they lost to the Giants, and he couldn't. He said, I didn't have the strength to go into their dugout to congratulate them. See, that's true of us. There's no way I'm going into somebody else's dugout to congratulate them. That's the starting place. See, in this passage, it says in the Mark chapter 12 version, it says, you've identified correctly and you are become close to the kingdom of God. You're close, but you're not there. You're close, you're not there. Jesus is actually saying it. 
You're close. You get it. You know it, but you're not living it. That's the starting place. And I find myself there, and that's where we start. That's number one. And then we move into number two, which is a love this grand can only come from Jesus. Where do I get that from? Well, I get it from Luke. I get it from the Luke chapter 10 version of this interaction. And this Luke 10 interaction, the lawyer is the one who says, I know what the, ten, I know what the greatest commandment is, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I got it. And, and, and then it says, and he said to him, you've answered correctly. Go do this, Jesus says. We'll go live it. And then it says in verse 29, but wishing to justify himself, justify himself, he asks, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I really have to love? In other words, if it's true that I need to love God and love people, let me see if I can narrow it down to identify who it is actually I need to love and who I don't need to love. See, I want to narrow it down because it's too grand if I just have to go out and love everybody. I'm, it's like W.C. Fields at the end of his life. Someone saw him later in his life reading the Bible, and they knew that he was not a Bible Back on. There we go. Thank you, Brian. Beautiful. So here you go. W.C. Fields. Do you remember what I was saying? He's reading through the Bible. The guy was not a Bible believer. He was like living a different kind of a life. Living his own life. And at the end of his life, he's reading the Bible and he says, what in the world are you doing? He goes, I'm looking for loopholes. And that's what, the, that's what this guy was doing, looking for a loophole, how to get out of how to justify himself. And here's the point. Jesus identifies the fact that, je, that he was trying to make himself right before God in his own efforts. And whenever you see the word justify in the New Testament, it's referring to the one who can justify. There's only one who can justify. It's Jesus to make right, to restore, to make amends, to pay the debt. Think of this. The only way you and I are able to love is not for, through self-justification. No matter how good we are, no matter how loving we are, there's always something in our heart. There's always a motivation. There's always something, maybe not always, but I guarantee you, for most of us, we really do think we're doing a better job than we really are. But guess what? Jesus pays the price. He pays the debt. Imagine getting yourself so far into debt that you can't pay your bills. You're out. Your check's no good. Don't even bother writing the check. We already know. Your checks just keep bouncing because you have no money. You've used up all your money. It's you can't buy anything. You can't do anything. Imagine being in that situation and then someone coming along and paying off your debt and now all of a sudden putting money in your account, you now are able to write another check. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Romans 8. I was walking and I walked by this little office the other day and I saw Romans 8.1 on somebody's desk over here. 
There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What in the world is that doing on that person's desk? I have no idea, but that's a great verse. We no longer live condemned. Why? Because if you go back to the argument in Romans chapter 5, it says in Romans chapter 5 that we've actually been set free. And in verse 8, but God, Taylor's favorite verse, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've been justified, not by ourselves, but by faith. We've received peace with God through whom we now obtain an introduction into the grace in which we stand. We stand in a grace. And what, what I think's happening in this text is that the lawyer needs to come to that realization and give up his own attempts and recognize the fact that he can't do it without Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't enter, the etern- you can't enter eternal life. What's he saying? It's not a trick question. He's basically saying it is impossible for you to even live out the Beatitudes without Christ in you. Brooke was going to teach this morning, my daughter. She got sick, and so I volunteered. And I had several conversations with her about this passage. And what she was going to teach is this point. The love of God precedes the love for God. And until you have the love of God, you cannot experience your love for God or for people. We can't come close to real love until we first experience or sit in the love of Christ and understand what's going on in this passage, that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, it says in Romans 5. The love of God's been poured out of your hearts. That, how? Because God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we're no longer enemies, we've been reconciled to God. And in that reconciliation, we experience a new love. So point number two is a love this grand can only come from Jesus. It's the only source. The source of the greatest love on the earth is Jesus himself. Have you received that love from Christ? Because you will hit your head against the wall trying to love people and love God and you'll you'll keep coming short. What part of you has yet to see the love of Christ infiltrate you and wash over you so that you are in a position to learn to love God with everything you got? And really, that's what Jesus said. It takes everything you got. It's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love to people. It's treating people in the way you want to be treated. It's it's meeting their needs as you would want your needs met. And then Jesus does something radical, and here's the end. He takes them in Luke chapter 10 to a parable of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan is a story of two people meeting each other, unlikely people meeting each other on a road. A Jewish man has fallen into trouble. He's been beaten and robbed and left for dead. And a Samaritan of all people comes by and rescues him. And I think the reason why Jesus puts this in the context of loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and loving people as you love yourself is number three, 
understanding that only the transformed heart in the love of Christ can accomplish that. It's the only way. And then all of a sudden, what happens in you is something that only Christ can do. I mean, think of it. Meeting the need of the most neediest person. Meeting the need of the most distant person from you, socially, racially, religiously, economically. Somebody in such a different category as you. They're as far away from you as possible. Meeting the needs of someone that you don't even like. That you consider to be your religious, political enemy. That's what Jesus is doing in the Good Samaritan. Imagine putting those kinds of people, and then reversing, by the way, the Jew is not the one that's the hero, the Samaritan is. Just in order to mix things up a little bit, to really kind of tick people off, to get people really thinking about how radical that is. Denise and I were talking to our son. He's now a school teacher up in Morro Bay High School. And it's a difficult transition from the business world into teaching. You're thinking classroom, students, they want to learn. He's, he's an engineering teacher. He's got, this, he's got this, these two classrooms filled with equipment. He's a, in, it's a lab. He's going to teach them to weld and use a lathe. And, and they're going to 3D print and collect plastic. And he's figured out which plastic they can collect and make stuff with. And it's going to be amazing. And yet what he's discovered is what a lot of teachers are discovering in the last 20 months of children, young people, being isolated without authority, without direction, without a lot of discipline. Now back in the classroom, it's unruly. There's graffiti on his wall. There are people cussing out teachers. They are turning over desks. There are all sorts of things happening that you and I would just be aghast to think, there's no way my kid would be allowed to get away with something like that. One particular teacher was so upset, he responded in anger and is now under investigation and may lose his job. And I'm thinking, what's he going to do? He can't even teach the subject if he can't get control of the classroom. And it's dangerous in there with all this equipment that you could cut an arm off or be electric. I mean, there's some serious equipment in this classroom. And it was drawing him down more and more. And then something happened. Something transformed in his heart. And he realized, you know what I've been doing? I've been putting out negative energy and I'm going to start putting out positive energy. And I'm going to focus on those kids that really want to learn. And I'm going to focus on them. I'm going to affirm them. And guess what is happening? He's seen a decrease. It's not, it hasn't happened over a long period of time. So, you know, who knows if this is going to continue. But what he's noticing is the kids that want to act out in bad behavior are not getting noticed. And he's focusing on the kids that really want to learn and be there. And he had to transform in his mind to a new perspective that I think only Christ can give us when we're in that kind of a situation. I tell you what, I would be livid. I said, my, my response was, if you call the police? I mean, graffiti's got to be illegal. And he's like, Dad, calm down. You're, you're not cut out for the classroom. <laughs> but you know, that's what I'm learning. 
here's, here's, my, here's my final thought. Is real love growing in you? And how will I know? Three things. I will resist trying to love God and others on my own terms and my own strength. I'm going to resist that because I naturally want to go there because I do things really well. Thanks, you guys. I do some things really, really well. And if you gauged my success as a Christian on other biblical languages, how many years I've taught, uh, running an organization, whatever, I would do pretty well. But if you gauge it on love, I got to be honest with you, I come really short. So this passage has really spoken to me of first recognizing that. And then second, receiving the love of Christ into every part of me, even the wounded parts of me that really want to keep score, that want to act differently. There are parts of you that want to act differently, but when Christ gets a hold of you and you recognize what Christ has done for you, I love that Ephesians passage where it says, we're putting aside malice and envy and murder and strife and all the horrible things. Why? Because Christ has first forgiven us. If Christ could forgive me, he, I most certainly could forgive somebody else. Forgive. The third, the third thing I wrote is respond to God's love. Respond. And when I respond, then what happens is I change my perspective. I'm, I'm transformed. And I begin to truly see God and people in a different way. And I love him for who he is. And I respond in that, with that with a kind of love that says, oh God, how much I need you and how much I appreciate you. How much I see you as valuable in my life. And I want to do something different. We got an opportunity this weekend to give back, to be a good Samaritan. And, and uh, by the way, 9 o'clock, for those that want to go, please reach out and let Suzanne know. They're going to all meet, by the way. Where are they going to meet? I just had this in my mind. Now I forgot where we were going to meet. It's always good to know where. At 8 o'clock in the morning at Crossroads, Crenshaw and Lamita Boulevard. I'm the one who came up with it and I forgot it. It's Lamita Wright and Crenshaw, the, the Starbucks at 8 o'clock Saturday morning. It always is easy when you have a date and a time and a place. There it is, 8 o'clock. So let's pray. Father, may we, may we love with a love that only comes from you. That's really what we're learning here this morning. May we love with a love that only comes from you that may our hearts be transformed as Jesus was by the Shema. And that may we recite this daily as a reminder of the story that we tell ourselves that includes the fact that we fall short. But yet, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We all do. And yet we find a strength and a transformation of heart in Jesus. In Jesus. And we hold to this in the name of Jesus. And so we come now we come now to this beautiful place, this place of forgiveness. It's called the table. It's the table of remembrance. It's the table of forgiveness. It's the table of remembering that we've been forgiven and that we've received a grace, a reconciliation, a love that we need in our own hearts. May we come expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. stand so we get into worship.
this morning. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to go get the elements for communion and then we'll come back and do one last song just to let you know kind of how the rest of the morning is going to go. Forever. 
Yes, Lord, we believe that this morning, that we can only love you after we receive your love, the goodness and the hope of your love. Lord, that was poured out for us on the cross. We see it through the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us. And Lord, this morning, we don't let another moment go by without bringing to remembrance what you've done for us, Jesus. We can't do it on our own strength, Lord. You are our strength. You paid the ultimate price that we could know you, that we could be in relationship with you, and that we could feel your love. So, Lord, this morning, as we do take communion, we remember that this morning. We bow our hearts before you. And we say thank you for this free gift of life that you've given us. And we love you, Lord, with all of our heart. Teach us how to love you more this morning. Whenever you're ready, I want to invite you to come to the table to your right, my left, and take the elements and, you know, make it your own time. Whenever it feels right, we're going to go back into worship. So why don't I invite a couple of, yeah, Brittany and Luke, why don't you get up there and start this off? darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the world from a throne of endless glory to a cradle Good day. 
and the dead was from their tomb and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born and the spirit lit the flame now the gospel truth of all shall not need shall not faint by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me praise the father today and for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for worshiping, guys. We'll be here and Malaga Cove next week, and we will have tacos after Malaga Cove. So we'll see you next week. Bless you guys. <laughs>